Welcome to episode 109, the final episode of the year that was 2020. What a shit show that was, hey? (laughs) Anyway, before I rant my way into another podcast episode, let's just take a breath. Okay. Are you feeling a bit like, blah? It's that time of year, right? You have that multi-layered hangover going on of overeating, over-drinking, and a year full of overworking. I get it. It's the same for most of us. And so if you're starting to feel like it's time to make a change, to shed those unwanted kilograms, heal your joints, your skin, your brain, and deal with some of your emotional baggage, and that's probably a big one, then today's episode is for you because we dive deep on sugar addiction and the challenges that pop up when going through your sugar detox. Also, parents, we talk a lot about children and protecting them and detoxing them from an addiction at a young age, which as uncomfortable as that word addiction may sound, you are likely to have highly sugar addicted children, just as I too was when I was younger. And so without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I hope you've not had too much of a state following Christmas. We all know that the food situation can get a little out of hand for us over this period of time. Uh, For others, though, simply giving oneself permission can ease the mental burden that comes with this time of year. However, after the chaos of 2020, we have seen skyrocketing rates of sugar and vegetable oil consumption, meaning that now more than ever, we really need to set ourselves up with the right tools to navigate the challenges that we have with sugar in our day day-to-day lives. You likely already know that it's leading to your weight gain or your brain fog or your perpetually sore body and it's time to make a change. Otherwise, the path you tread is painting a picture with some fairly grim outcomes. We know this, it's well documented and you most likely have a family member you've seen go down this path before also. And of course, I'm always banging on about it quite frequently here. So we need to get onto it. So the other people in our lives that we tend to forget about with the old sugar binges is our children because we write them off saying they're young, they'll be fine or they need the energy or they have high metabolism because they're growing to be big and strong. And for the most part, unfortunately, these are lies that marketing and advertising have led you to believe. Given that I myself don't have kids and have been fortunate enough to receive the right nutritional education, I'm lucky, but many people haven't had such luxuries, which is exactly why the show exists, so that you can access the minds of brilliant humans like, well, obviously me, but more importantly, our amazing guests. And today we have a return guest from back on episode 73. So after you finish this episode, go and check out episode 73. We have Michael Collins back for more. So who is Mike Collins? Well, he is the founder of sugaraddiction.com and the Quit Sugar Summit, which I'm grateful to say he invited me to speak at in 2020 alongside some industry heavyweights. And we're doing it all again in 2021, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
Uh, as the chairman of the board and current board member of the Addiction Institute, Mike has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years. That's right, three zero, 30 years, and has worked closely with others to help them regain lives ravaged by this addictive product. Mike has been in recovery from substance use disorder for over 35 years, and on episode 73, we talked about Mike's journey and sugar being both a psychoactive substance and the unacknowledged gateway drug that it is, and by drug... I mean, illicit substance. Episode 73, check it out. He raised two children sugar-free from the womb to over six years old, from which point they only had sugar once per month for their entire childhood. What a massive achievement. Mike, my friend, welcome back to the show. How you doing? <laughs> Thank you, Matty. I really appreciate it, man. I would hear those numbers. I feel a little old. I know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know. You, you probably aren't even 35 or something. <laughs> I'm definitely not even 35 yet. There you go, exactly. <laughs> but I'm enthusiastic. So. You, you are. It's amazing. So congratulations. Thanks for having me. We need this information. You're, you're a great steward to get this information out. I appreciate it. Oh, likewise, I'm following in the steps of giants like yourself. And so <laughs> thanks for paving the way. <laughs> so this time of year, Christmas, New Year's, you know, it's just a chaotic time of year for refined sugar consumption. Like, and we're virtually all consuming it up to our eyeballs. Uh, of, of course, with the vegetable oils too, all super damaging to our biology. How on earth do we get through this time of year? Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, you know, one of the things people always, they, they're, they're trying to wait till the beginning of the year. And that's, a, that's a, like a drinker trying to go into treatment after a bender you know it's like it's always makes it a little bit worse <laughs> so how do you get through it uh you start early you start now you start in january you start when you're supposed you know like we have a it's so funny because we have a lot of people asking this exact same question in our groups and stuff because this is the first time they've ever been through a holiday um and they've had a lot of success because you know, they, they have a new tribe. They have people like likely in your audience. Most people are alone in their family in thinking about this and researching it uh, and thinking that this may be an issue or problem that they want to deal with. So what we found is the most uh, efficient, I'll say put it that way, uh, easiest uh, way to do this is to, yeah, look, you can just research all the information. You can go online and get it all. It's like... You don't have to be a rocket scientist to just pull up sugar or sugar addiction and whatever uh, or get off sugar or whatever you pull up. But what people don't really and we, what we stress is that what we've discovered in the last three years, in the first 10 years of doing this from sugar at sugaraddiction.com, I gave the best information on the planet. It was really a, uh, you know, I was learning what people needed and that kind of stuff. But we started having groups and, and meetings and Zoom meetings and coaching and forums and that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, this this congruent, this kind of congealed group of people helped one another. We call it peer-to-peer -peer recovery. And it's really peer-to-peer -peer simply, it needs to be simply because we're kind of outliers. We're new. We're, you know, you say, quit. I quit smoking. All right. I quit drinking. Good job. You say, I quit sugar. They say, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, I mean, you need sugar. Your brain needs glucose. Or blah, blah, blah. They have all these reasons, right? Yeah. And so that's really, I mean, how do you do it? You, you get with other folks who have done it and led, you know, a, a couple of steps. Ahead. It doesn't even need to be somebody like me. You know, it needs to be somebody just to 
couple months ahead of you or or someone you can be you can relate to either text or call or you know get on a zoom like this or whatever you know that kind of thing so that i think is the most important message i really believe that yeah start today i I think that's yeah great advice but you brought up an interesting point there about you know people's reactions to you know drugs and alcohol and i think it all comes back to the way that the the media paints it because when you you know socially uh, put a social judgment on alcoholic behavior or uh, drug addicted behavior and you put it all over the news every time some kind of incident happens you know society begins this sort of mass group thinking about it being not ideal but when when the the reaction is so slow, like sugar consumption producing problems over a 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 year period, you know, yeah, people don't react so severely because when you say, oh, this person got diagnosed with diabetes, we really should have reacted to that 25 years ago. And mm-hmm. so it's this weird social judgment that we have on one, despite, as we've talked about before, sugar being, you know, eight times more addictive than cocaine. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's interesting that... Um, Yes, sugar. And, and but what do you think about this? Like maybe because everybody's addicted to sugar, that's where the judgment from getting off sugar comes from. Like because <laughs> Correct. the person because most people that are talking to an alcoholic or a drug addict and saying these things aren't in that situation themselves. But you right. can almost guarantee that somebody that reacts to a sugar addict and says, "What are you doing?" are likely addicted themselves. <laughs> right. Well, I think it, what happened is that it triggered that self-awareness and that self examination they had to look at them so they, if they're if they have to acquiesce agree uh, even have a discussion about uh, the other person quitting sugar then they have to look at them you know they have to look at themselves right they have to think well what is my issue with it right yeah and usually that 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 answer is probably right under the surface anyway they're like they've probably actually thought about it I mean, everyone has thought about it because the awareness is out there in the diet culture that you got to quit the white stuff to lose weight. And with the obesity and overweight, you know, we're talking a third of the population obese and two thirds of total overweight. And nowadays, you know, there's TOFI. There's like thin on the outside, fat on the thin on the outside, fat on the inside. It's like people even underweight over, you know, people, they have fat around their organs and fatty liver and stuff from the sugar. So, and this, this is like media fodder. It's every freaking where, right? Oh, totally. so anybody that has that discussion is going to be thinking, you know, cause they, when the, when they hear it in the news, they're like, ah, you know, it's only a donut and I'll get, you know, I'll slow down tomorrow. It's only this I'll slow down tomorrow. And you mentioned a perfect, I think really the main one of the main problems is this this is a very slow slow poisoning. It's the you know it's a very it takes a long time. But it is accelerating because our our use is accelerating. And the doses it's a dose dependent poison, right? So you take a little heroin, you take a little bit of uh uh alcohol, you take a little cocaine or whatever. But we're pounding 20 teaspoons a day, average. So if somebody's got a big habit or obese, you know, they're, they're doing 30, 40 te- teaspoons of sugar a day, a day, and they never get off it. So all the things that it affects, the nucleus accumbens, the dopamine, the serotonin, everything is just being toyed with all day, every day, and they just never get a breather. You know, they never get a break. Um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for the folks to... 
Because we are outliers. We're early in the science. We're early in the understanding. And really, the science has exploded in the last five years. That's the exciting part. Well, for me, but for others, they're not caught up with it. They're still stuck in, like I said, the diet culture of that's what's, you know, get off the white stuff, get off the white stuff, lose weight. And that's really not the answer. The answer has to do more with the brain uh, than it does with the glucose. We all know what the glucose is doing. Insulin resistance, diabetes, heart disease, all that kind of stuff, metabolic syndrome. But we are not quite yet out there as a general knowledge kind of thing is the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA. Even your adrenal glands are being affected in a deep way and have been since, a, since childhood. And you're manually manipulating these, these, uh, these beautiful brain chemicals that were meant to make you calm, that were meant to make you steady and feel good. I mean, serotonin, SSRIs, these are Paxil and all these kind of... Uh, things that they use for depression. You're toying with that with sugar, right? It's just it's hard. It's it's hard because it's an ongoing education process, right? So Absolutely. We got to keep pounding the drum just like this. <laughs> I I'll get off my soapbox for a minute and let you ask a question. <laughs> now, we love you on your soapbox, Mike. Don't stress at all. But you and you you point out an interesting point there too which for the listeners, for anybody that is listening that does have that sort of, "Oh, I thought we did need sugar for the brain and we did need this. There's a mechanism in, in our metabolism called gluconeogenesis, which builds those sugar molecules as the body requires them without putting the actual sugar, you know, through our mouth, right. essentially. Sure. <laughs> exactly. And it can build it from protein. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, Fatty acids and proteins. So yeah. um, the body is, it has all the tools necessary. The body's fine. <laughs> the body's fine. You know, look, I mean, the hard part, and I, I you know, I, in the early days and still today, I, it takes about a podcast length of an of an ex explanation. I don't have a meat is murder or a friends don't let friends drive drunk. I don't have a shocking um, you know, sound bite that I can just drop and all of a sudden people they, they can see it. Right? It takes time and you know questions like this and forums like this that I can explain the whole thing. And I don't want to you know scare everybody, but. Everybody's got to understand this, and I don't think it's too big a stretch. Sugar is a drug, okay? It's not, it's a, it's not in fruit. It's, it, I mean, we'll go into fructose if you want to, but because it's a big part of it. But it, even fructose, when this stuff has been reduced to a white powder or a white granular substance, it's like cocaine being reduced to uh, coca leaves being reduced to cocaine. It's a very different effect on the body. And everybody knows it, like, and it's gen that's general awareness, but they're just not putting two and two together, and they're not giving it the respect. There's a comedian here in the United States called Rodney Dangerfield. He used to pull on a red tie. He passed away, but he used to say, I get no respect, right? And sugar gets no respect for its power of psychoactivity, its ability to change your emotional states, right? You talk to a person who's lost two or three hundred pounds who never did drugs, who never did alcohol, really, they go through the same process that a recovering alcoholic or drug addict does, right? Look, it's a very common construct in the alcohol and drug world that if you start using drugs and alcohol at 14 or 15 years old, you stop growing emotionally, meaning you didn't handle relationships well, job responsibilities, you know, that, you know, taking care of yourself. 
and you ended up 35 or 40 as a as a recovering emotionally stunted 15 year old right and this is exactly the story that people tell when they lose two and three hundred pounds, right? They go through this process. Yes, they change their diet. Yes, they have to exercise a little bit. But for the most part, the ability to stay off and to keep that 200 pounds off has to do with the rejiggering, reconfiguring, and rewiring the emotional management systems that they have, um, by default, used from their childhood forward, right? Now, this is, you, you know, people start using drugs and alcohol 14, 15, 16. They start using sugar right out of the freaking womb. Yeah. You know, it's like they're sticking it on. I mean, it's like, and so your your brain chemicals, the most beautiful thing in your body, the brain uh, reward system is being toyed with. And we are toying with our children's as well. And I jumped on the soapbox again. I'm sorry, but I'll take a drink of water and I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you ask a question. <laughs> no, no, this is amazing. I, I love everything you're saying. It's interesting you talk about emotional management too, because you know you don't need to go far to realize, and especially as men, you know that people irrelevant of sugar or drugs or alcohol, you know, people aren't good with emotional management anyway. And so when children grow up in these homes and families with, you know, poor leadership, which is not necessarily their fault either, but at some point, you know, someone's got to fix the the ancestral problems that keep being handed down. But, yep. you know, to then pile on top of uh, your emotional management, sugar as potentially the only management tool you were going to get anyway mm-hmm. as children, you know, and then that, that drops into the feedback loop of these positive, these positive emotions or escape emotions that we want, you know, we're trying to escape from the pain of something else. So, you know, these poor kids have probably most often just very limited opportunity to develop emotional management systems that don't include sugar. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly correct. And it's a damn near free, uh, ubiquitous. You can reach for it and uh, excuse the drug analogies, but you can score sugar anytime. You can just go to the cupboard or go to the refrigerator or go to the store. And it's less than a buck you're you know, you got your little fix for the next couple hours. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult... Here's the thing. I talked about heroin, alcohol, cocaine. These delivery systems, needle, snorting, smoking marijuana. And, you know, if you're drinking, all you got to do is put the plug in the jug and not go to bars, and you separate that from your life, right? Yeah. Don't have it in your house. But we share the delivery system of this drug with our eating. Okay, we share the literal system of how it gets ingested. We don't snort sugar. I mean, not most people, um, <laughs> you know. And and so you got to cleave apart the whole foods, the real nutritious, nutrient dense foods, and the food like drug products that have been developed. And when I say developed, I mean developed, not developed to for nutrition. New developed for what's called the bliss point, which. They literally slide, they have campuses, literal campuses, as big as a college campus, where they slide people in MRIs and watch their brain reward systems as they develop these sugary treats, right? To find that bliss point so that the person can get the most brain activity from their products, right? With the amount of caffeine, sugar, fat, right? And so this is like such a, um, it's, I don't like to say it's not your fault, but it isn't because when World War II ended, they had uh, K-rations, right? And K-rations, they supplemented them. They, they had huge contracts to get the troops fed. 
But at the end of the war, they didn't have anything to do. So they had to keep going and they got to stop getting government money. So they had to uh, develop a business. And that business was processed food. And processed food is essentially an experiment that has failed, right? It's not, we know now, it really accelerated, got on steroids in the 80s when high fructose corn syrup came into the diet and used it as a, again, a sweetener and, you know, to help ease the reduction in what we thought was the problem then, which was the fat, right? They pulling out the fat. And when you take the fat out of food, it tastes like cardboard. It tastes terrible. And so they it had does. to put sugar in, right? And the high fructose corn syrup. And you can watch the obesity numbers go parallel with the growth of the obese, of the high fructose corn syrup in the food system from the 1980s to the 19, to, to 2020s, right? It goes straight up and to the right, just like a graph that... You know, as it was one grows, the other grows. The obesity rate grows. When I was younger, there were no fat kids in high school. One, there was one overweight kid or obese kid and like two or three, you know, a little bit of weight on them. And you look at the, the older pictures or movies or people and people are real. Everybody's real thin, right? And it's like it, this has just been, again, I don't want to relieve everyone that it's not your fault. But it, it you it, you got it. We got I, I figure out there's no way to figure out how to get out of this issue, the system, this weirdness, until we figure out how we got in and then take that responsibility of correcting it, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And, and like I said, it takes about a podcast description lengthwise to get with people who are like your listeners, willing to listen and be open to let the information light on them. Yeah, and that's you got to be open to it, of of course. Um, but you you raise an interesting point. So in my one of my clients in my Facebook groups this week dropped a photo um, from a beach in the nineteen seventies, okay. and there was he- like heaps of people in this photo, and there was not a single overweight person at all. Yeah. Um, and it was just yeah, and a lot of people commented and were like. Whoa! Oh, yeah, okay. That's putting that in perspective. Because now, obviously, you go to the beach and you're, you know, if you find the skinny person on the beach, you're, you know, the odd one out. <laughs> yeah. In my lifetime, it's probably too much information, but I have a, a medium <laughs> waist, right? And men's underwear has gone from thirty thirty two medium to thirty two thirty four, right? It's the same size. I mean, the same. It's still a medium, but it's increased by four inches, right, or thereabouts, right? You know, yeah, it's a lot. It, it's a lot. You know, so to, to, you have to change the entire system of of measuring, you know, people's sizes. It's crazy. Totally. So I know that the listeners, with and many of them are parents, want to know how did you raise your kids sugar free. <laughs> It was a war, man. It was a fight. <laughs> so I, was, I we, bet it was. Yeah, it was like we had to, we fought the Montessori school. We fought the grandparents, their own grandparents. We fought the kids, friends, uh, parents. Everyone thought that we were depriving them of a childhood, that a ch- uh, these quote-unquote necessary childhood experiences of whatever, sugar. And I just don't believe it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have the... I was willing, if people aren't willing to just try this on their own, I was willing to use my own children as an experiment. I believed in it so strongly, <laughs> right? And look, we buy their food, forget about it in a lockdown, before they're four and five years old. 
they don't have access to anything. People would always come up to us in a restaurant. They'd have stuff from the salad bar, you know, cucumbers and tomatoes and whatever. They'd have vegetables, that literally like broccoli, and they'd be eating broccoli like on their high chair in a restaurant. People say, how do you get them to eat that? It's like if they've never experienced this other stuff, this processed food, this macaroni and cheese and stuff, they they really don't even understand what it is. They used to play with the, you know, you heard the kids screaming in a cart trying to get to the stuff in the grocery lane at, when you're checking out. They're just literally yeah. l- l- pulling the whole cart over trying to get to it. My kids thought it was blocks, the colored blocks, and they'd be playing with it. They had no idea what it was. And oh, that's, that's so interesting. And so it's two, answers your question are two things, right? Children that have never had it and children that have had it. And if you catch them young, then, you know, under two or three, it's the, that's an easy transition. But you get to be about six or seven, that transition gets a little harder. And then the answer is people don't like this answer. They really don't like this answer. And I'm, I'm not above uh, using this answer because they got to do it first. They got like the airlines say you got to put your own oxygen mask on first, right? And they, because kids are smart as hell, they really get it. They 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 know where your stash is. Don't think they don't. They know <laughs> they can smell it on your breath. They know what you're doing when you say no candy, can't have candy. And meanwhile, you got it on the highest you know cupboard there. You're you know on the highest shelf. You can't do it that way. They know, and they you know, and then you be honest with them, and then they'll start to realize. That if they have a tummy ache coming from a birthday party, you can talk about it. It's, you know, sugar's not healthy. Mommy quit sugar. Daddy quit sugar. Whatever. And we're trying to have our family that's not healthy for you and have a discussion. And they are okay with that. I have a coach. She's uh, two years off of sugar and about six or eight months in, she decided that her nine-year-old at the time, you know, she wanted to, as a daughter and wanted to help her. And uh, there's a little glitch in the story, though. Grandma owns a bakery. True story. Oh, grandma owns a bakery, and grandma's not on board with this. Okay, so I can she, imagine. Well, yeah, when she's not giving up her life's work, and so when she comes, she and the husband's not on board with this. So she brings stuff for the granddaughter and the daughter and the and the husband. And so it took a while for her to uh, like. Just start downloading it. She saw that mommy wasn't eating it anymore. She wanted to be like mommy kind of thing. And if you get them under 11, 10 or 11, you know, that's still the case. They still love up on you and they're not, you know, whatever. They're not teenagers yet. And so if you can do it that way, then you can get to the the other side. Now, it's not going to be perfect. And if they've already had sugar and you don't want to like Iceland. Dr. Um, I talk, we talked about before we went on, Dr. Uh, Michael Gorin here at UCLA, wrote a book, new book called Sugar Proof. And he's on our summit. We'll, we can talk about that later. But he's, uh, um, you know, he's of the mind where, you know, you can't be total abstinence with kids. Now, I believe if personally and to my core of my being that that first thousand days is so important. The pregnancy through the first, you know, two or three years is so important. The brain is still developing at a rapid, rapid rate. And if you look at the science, I mean, they're now calling Alzheimer's diabetes three. If you look at the science around brain work and brain scans and sugar, you'll see that there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of science, a lot of good science around this. You know, it's not perfected yet, but 
to give one of the things parents want to give their children, especially if they're open enough to listen to a podcast like this or a summit like ours or whatever, they know that they do not want to pass the sins of the parents onto the children. So if they're having difficulty with sugar, and if they think it's an issue in their life or their weight gain or their health or their diabetes 2 diagnosis, they do not want to give that to their kids. So the earlier you can start, the better. So it's a man. I I think we've talked about it. You know, most of my folks are older women uh, who kind of have come, they get sick of it. They're sick of the weight, sick of the health issues, but, but we, I'd love to see the demographics move down to childbearing women and, and, and maybe explore this more. That'd be great. Oh, absolutely. So thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. No, more than happy to. And, and, you know, a lot of those mothers are obviously, you know, reacting to being pregnant. And, I, you know, I can't speak. I've never been pregnant. But, you know, during their pregnancy, they want, you know, easy food. Just get me this. I've got cravings for X, Y, Z. And, and, and they're, you know, building the human or at least fueling that the woman in an unideal way, creating cells that are not built correctly, creating neural pathways that are not built correctly. And then, mm-hmm. you know, go into being a mother, which is super stressful. And, you know, you're, you know, tired all the time. And therefore we know when you're tired, you make poorer food decisions. And so, yeah, that first thousand days makes so much sense. If, if, if in that stressful, painful, sleep deprived <laughs> right. environment, you can get off sugar, you can, you can be sugar free forever. Right. <laughs> I know, and think about it. Like my mom gained sixty pounds on a hundred five pound frame. She told me flat out, mostly she drank sugar, right? Sugar products, and so you're looking at a situation which is exactly what you said. There's possibly financial stress, maybe relationship stress, maybe the pregnancy is early or you know unplanned or whatever. And you're like, you're you remember what we talked about? Your emotional management system kicks in, the one that you grew up with. And you start to use a little bit of excess sugar. And there really hasn't been enough information out there to dissuade you from that. Yeah, you stop. Here's the thing that makes me crazy. Okay, this is this this just this is a pet peeve a little bit, right? A woman finds out she's pregnant. I'm not exaggerating. If she has a substance use disorder, heroin, cocaine, alcohol, that day, that minute, that afternoon, she stops using drugs or alcohol, right? She's like, oh, I'm pregnant. I, I can't smoke anymore. I can't drink it. They quit smoking. They quit drinking. I can't, you know, it's like everything stops that has been uh, proven that it might affect the fetus or the baby, right? But when it comes to sugar, these things are coming out every single day. And they're starting to learn this. They're starting to understand this. And it's not, it's just like, I don't want to say wake up. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't want to shame people. It's not part of my the way we operate, but I do want to express with vehemence, you know, this idea that you need to look at the sugar, the possibility that the sugar uh, could be affecting your pregnancy. Yeah, well, it makes yeah so much sense to me. But and again, comes back to I think the the social uh, construct that exists around sugar, and everybody around you does it. The problems aren't here yet, so you don't really feel like you're paying the price for it. Um, and I think yeah, we it's one of those things like somebody that's thirty kilos or you know fifty pounds, hundred pounds overweight doesn't know what good feels like until they get the results. So mm-hmm. a- unless everybody in your social circle went sugar-free to know what it feels like and lasted a thousand days, you wouldn't receive any external pressure, you know, or judgment to get off of that.
So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you're, you're, you're nailing it right on the head there, man, because uh, it's something you can put seemingly can put off. And, and you're not going to be affected in next week, next month, maybe next year, and maybe 10 years. But believe me, it will catch you. It will catch up with you. And it's harder as you age. And moreover, in my world, harder as you fall deeper into the addiction, meaning you grooving neural pathways deep that need to be redone, rewired with okay, I'm a little nervous or stressed or need some energy, I'm going to take a walk, I'm going to go to yoga, I'm going to get a hug, I'm going to call a friend, I'm going to get a massage, whatever it is, whatever self-care that you replace the sugar uh, hits with, those are the things you need to lay into place early in your detox, early in your um, your program to reduce or quit sugar. And look, everybody, <laughs> here's the thing, everybody says, here's the question, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? <laughs> You're not going to ask an alcoholic to drink a little beer. You're not going to ask a cigarette person to have a cigarette once or twice a month, you know. And the people want to know, if you're associating, affiliating, naming, saying this is an addiction issue or whatever. So, and that the people who are successful, who lose a couple hundred pounds and tell their story, say, I quit sugar, never had sugar again, and I lost the, the weight, Right. Do they have to do that? The answer is maybe. <laughs> they may have to, but let them decide, decide on a clear and clean body. If I can get somebody to 90 days of complete abstinence, almost no one ever goes back. Now, they may slip off. They may c come back later. But we have essentially <laughs> screwed up their sugar using for life because their skin's clearing up. They're um, losing weight. Their brain fog is clearing up, and they can see the difference. They can also see what you see in children when the cake and ice cream comes out at a birthday party. They can see that um, when they get an accidental or purposeful ingestation after 90 or 120 days of freedom and you've healed up a little your brain reward chemicals, you get this accentuated feeling, this feeling of well-being very similar to a couple of martinis or a valium you know you're just you feel a little bit better i hear this over and over and over again 
But when you play it out, it only lasts about 30 or 40 minutes. Then you're then you're hungry again. Then you're then you're then you're starving. Then you want to get more in. And sometimes you wake up the next day with a little bit of a hangover and a little bit blue and depressed that day. And so if you follow that pattern all the way through, it's probably what you're what's happening now. Because most people, when they reach our age, by the time they reach our age, they're only just fighting off the withdrawals of sugar. They don't have time. They got a meeting. They got a kid. They got a that that that. They don't have time to have a headache, to be anxious, to be worried, to be, you know, uh, thirsty or all these kind of weird things you go through in the first week uh, as you move, you know, out away from the sugar. So, yeah, I mean, it's a I'm I'm really happy that you're allowing the time to kind of lay out the entirety of the argument, to lay out the entirety, not even of an argument or, 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 uh, you know, trying to uh, some kind of a, a pitch of some kind. This comes from 7,000 people in a, in a private group, thousands of testimonials of people who have gone before you. People have done this already. They've, they've, they've had these experiences that I'm describing. I didn't like, this is just because of my experience, my children's experience. This is pattern recognition over and over and over of repeated times of people uh, going through getting off sugar, right? or changing their pattern. And so the answer to the question is, do they have to do this to the re- for the rest of their life? No. The answer is no. This could be an adult treat, but you need to reorganize and reorder your relationship with the sugar just to see if maybe you are. And I believe there is one third of the population is biochemically unable to use this product without uh, setting up cravings. And it's not like you're, you know, got to rob a bank or nothing because you can just go to the seven, you know, the seven 11 and get the, get the fix, but it does set up the cravings and then it's annoying. It's freaking mental exercises. You don't need to do. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Am I going to gain weight? Nah, 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 nah. You know, it's just like this, that mental freedom is what people search. We got a saying around here, man. It goes, they come for the vanity, they stay for the sanity. <laughs> I like so, it. Right? So they come because they want to lose weight yep. normally. But then they realize such a freedom of not having to think about it day in and day out. Do I give it to the kids? Do I eat it? Do I hide it? I mean, everybody has had an experience, almost everybody, of hiding a little bit so it'll be around later. Maybe even as deep as pulling it out of the trash because they, you know, they threw it away and then they got it back. You know, I mean... We, the stories are endless, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a wild thing. We're we're on the bleeding edge of this revolution, and and people need to know what's going on inside the small band of warriors that has uh, you know tried to or and done and had success getting off it. One of the things you sort of touched on there that I can relate to is that after, you know, sort of going on the health journey myself and learning about nutrition and, and, and Western medicine and alternative medicines and different things and how it all works and comes together and getting essentially moving from a conventional Australian, you know, lifestyle, which is a little better than American, but not by much, mm. not by much. Like yeah. plenty of people are overweight, you know, and live terrible lives here when it comes to nutrition and diet and emotional management, just like everywhere in, you know, most of the world really. Yeah. But the thing that I realized transitioning, going through that transition period was that once I was clean, you know, to a predominantly clean lifestyle, you know, fruits, vegetables, um, meat, you know, whole real food essentially as the 
vast majority of what I put in my body was that when I did say have a beer or have, have a chocolate or some fast food once in a blue moon, I genuinely felt like shit. Like, and, and the thing is, when you're eating that stuff all the time, you don't realize that you're feeling like shit because that's your point of reference. So you're just perpetually... And that was me in the past and I didn't even know and I didn't have any weight issues um, you know, at the, uh, at the time and I've never had them, fortunately. But you don't realize that your reference point is feeling like shit until you get so clean that you're like, this is amazing. And then you go back and you're like, whoa, I can now feel the impact this has on my body. And people even have that experience with um, that have gluten intolerance. Every now, every, they eat gluten every single day. They get a reaction. They feel a bit uncomfortable, but they go clean for a while. The immune system is allowed to go back to baseline. Then they have a little bit and they're just knocked out for the entire day. And so, you know, I think, you know, noticing the it's sort of a perspective change once you get get your a clear mind get rid of the brain fog and as well the other thing i find is really useful with clients i work with is that when we do slip off that bandwagon again getting a, a control emotional control of the situation is often starts with just making sure the next few nights are solid eight hour eight you know eight to nine hours of sleep to get that emotional management back under your control so mm. yeah i really resonated with what you said there about you know once you once you're clean and if you go back you realize how crappy it feels yeah i mean it's a, it, you're you're 100 right in that uh, people say that exact same thing they didn't know how good they could feel until they did you know and 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 when they do fall back they get the the same exact uh, reaction as you got they and what happens is they, they it, it elevates their resolve simply because they say, whoa, I was doing this to myself all this time. And you know that if your body's feeling bad, you're probably doing something bad to it. And so, you know, both mentally and physically. And so that's exactly why I try to <laughs> kick, drag them kicking and screaming for 90 <laughs> days of abstinence. You know, because I, I think I've told you these. I've had experiences with people who have had experience with drugs and alcohol recovery, they're no different, right? These are people who have been sober 5, 10, 15 years, and then they realize they need to quit the sugar, and they, they have a hard time. So the construct or the, the stigmatization of the word addiction, now they're trying to change all that, and it's working, I think, but it's still not out of the lexicon, and it's like Addict, addiction, they, people don't want to hear it. They, they, so I, I have to kind of ease them in to a sugar detox and then I kind of spring it on or whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm being honest here because, look, this is the reality of it. And, and you know, once you have just, it, I always say, tell people, buy into my fantasy. Just give me the 90 days. Just give me 90 days. Give yourself 90 days. If you were to go to a, uh, say, a, uh, an allergist, and you get a scratch test, right? They get pollen and ragweed and all the eggs, whatever. You know, see what you're allergic to. This is your own personal scratch test. This is you doing an N1 experiment on your body, your psyche. You know all the literature says to try this, at least, to just try to. And I do want to bring up, because this is important for the folks and the women, and mostly women, but there's men too, a lot now more uh, coming out. In the eating disorder world, right? This is a world where uh, anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating live, okay, or are diagnosed and treated in treatment centers and through docs and stuff. They believe that if you demonize one food, you're not in quote unquote recovery, you're not healing or getting well, right? 
And at the Food Addiction Institute, we found, and we, you know, we're, we're starting to champion a cause that sugar is more like a substance use disorder. It's more like a uh, drug or alcohol use because some people set up cravings, and those are the late stage folks, right? These are the folks that are two and three hundred pounds awake. They can't stop, even though the doc says you're going to have diabetes or you do have diabetes or you might get your leg cut off or your foot cut off or something. And but. The other folks are, you know, it's a process addiction like workaholism or sex addiction or gambling or whatever. And we're starting to make that split, okay? And so some people come to us and they say that, well, my doc or my therapist or my um, nutritionist said I, I should be able to moderately use sugar flour. <laughs> and that word moderation. <laughs> it's a bit flexible. So, yeah, <laughs> they throw so many people off because – you know, someone advised them not to do it. But I don't think there's a doctor on the planet, even a recovering doctor on the planet, who would say that a test of your body to see how your biochemical reactions are with sugar and to see if it sets up craving. That's really the worst part of it. Although, you know, obviously all the stuff we've talked about, the physical and mental deterioration. But in the short run, it's really just sets up the cravings for more. Because it's hitting the dopamine, serotonin, you see? And so, again, it takes a little bit of time to play the whole story out and to, to download, you know, thousands of people, probably up to tens of thousands of people now who have gone through the programs that we offer. And we, I can see that pattern recognition over and over and over and over again of the people who succeed and of the people that have failed, you know. And obviously, no one's got a 100% clear rate, but it's like... Yeah, I mean, it's um, you're, you're doing a great thing helping me get this message out, and I really appreciate it. I've got a question. You sort of touched on this earlier about fructose, like, and particularly for the parents, but everybody really. What about fruit? Because a lot of people give fruit to their kids as a snack, and a lot of people pick <laughs> up a piece of fruit as a snack. And, and I think I've talked before on the podcast about how fruit is often hybridized and genetically modified to contain more sugars than it would naturally if it was occurring in nature. So where do you sit on, on the fruit as a, as a snack? Yeah. <laughs> Warning, <laughs> warning, <laughs> warning. I get a Put lot of... Put the apples down. <laughs> yeah, no, I get a lot of pushback on this. And one of your countrymen, I, I'm not sure, I never knew uh, my geography of Tasmania is actually a country or... Uh, is, is it, is it, Australians will laugh that you said that. <laughs> okay, is it another country or... That's a state. It's a state below Victoria Uh, in Melbourne. So I'm in Melbourne in Victoria. It's about uh, over the water, but below us. Okay, gotcha. So (laughs) one of your countrymen, Dr. Gary Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E, has a video out there called Is Fruit Fruit Good for You? And he's on the summit. You can look him up on the summit here. And so, uh, you know, I get a lot of pushback on this. And let me try and do it. You can listen to his anthropological reasoning, and I can maybe cover a little bit of it. But at the end of the day, fruit has been hybridized for 300 years for fructose, right? The sweet part of it. And this is this will go back to the biology that we were talking about. And for your folks, the table sugar molecule is half fructose, half glucose, 50-50, split right down the middle. And but, 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 it's a processed sugar. It's a granular sugar. It's a powdered sugar, fructose, when it's a table sugar. In the fruit, however, it is theoretically, and this is why people give the pushback, it's a um, 
it's a processed food in my world, okay? Because for 300 years, we have hybridized this product for what? For sweetness. Back in the day, a banana was like a seed pod. It, there was a little bit of fruit around it so that the animals would eat it and disperse the seeds and that we would be attracted to it. But for the most part, it's been hybridized into what you see today with almost no seeds or seeds that are indistinguishable. And same with, let's look at a, a navel orange. A navel orange has no seeds. It can never propagate <laughs> again in nature. Once it drops, it's done. Right. So it's a yeah. processed food. It has to be grafted. It has to be, you know, new trees grown, that kind of thing. It's just, it's a, well, it's and, the same with bananas. They yeah. used to have black seeds all down the, the middle of them and you'd be hard pressed to find a banana with a seed in it. hundred percent. Exactly right. And, and there's others that we can mention and go on and on and all the fruits. I mean, crab apples used to be these little things you see in nature and you know, the, the animals would come in and clean them in a day. And that's about the amount of fructose that the body is supposed to have. Here's the, the part that's, that the folks are listening is the killer. Fructose can only be processed in the liver. It is, you know, and we have an epidemic and it causes fatty liver if you have too much of it. And we have an epidemic of children, four, five, and six years old, with fatty liver disease. This is an alcoholic's disease, Maddie. They don't get access to alcohol. This is a sugar thing. And when you take a look at that and understand it, we're, there's nothing in nature that's, that's poisonous that has fructose in it. And we were supposed to get it in a ratio that is about once or twice a year for a little bit, not a consistent flow of it, right? And yes, the fruit flow slows down the absorption and all of these arguments that they have. But as Dr. Fecky mentions, it's like um, it used to be back in the day, the green grocer. And some great marketing thing all of a sudden made it now uh, fruits and veg, right? And fruits and vegetables are good for you, right? And I'm not saying, again, like this can't be a treat. And we use it sometimes as a bridge. So like in the early days, people used the low glycemic fruits like berries and strawberries and stuff to ease the fruit, uh, you know, the, the, the cravings a little bit. And it's healthy enough and it'll help you get to the other side. I'll tell you my story. So I was 25 years in, and I used fruit quite regularly. I was, uh, you know, I thought at one time I was vegetarian, and I believed that this was a positive thing. And I even drank fruit juice, orange juice, once a week, uh, you know, organic, you know, fresh squeeze and stuff. And I literally had, um, and grains as well. I've, I've eliminated grains. And when I eliminated them both at the same time, I was in my 50s, and I literally had adult acne since I was a teenager. I'd never never cured myself of adult acne. My gums had bled, and my periodontal destruction was continuing, not at the same rate as when I ate sugar, but it was continuing. Um, I had My hair was coming out. Um, you know, my glass, my prescription glasses had changed, and I literally had this little, like, cognitive thing. Both my parents died of Alzheimer's, and I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. And so when I stopped fruit and grains, all that stuff disappeared. Like in 30 days, it all disappeared, right? It just disappeared, and I've never seen it since, right? Three, four years, five years later, right? The body and is amazing. The body is. I, oh, another thing. I literally had diagnosed basal cells in, you know what I mean? Like I actually had like some whacked off my nose. And so diagnosed by a doctor with a biopsy, and it went away. It disappeared. 
disappeared, no, no fructose. And also I want to mention in the fructose part of it is that the, um, the fructose, I believe, is the psychoactive drug part of this. Okay, the processed fructose, the granular fructose. And I've asked doctors, esteemed people like Dr. Fruct- Dr. Lustig and Dr. Fetke, if they believe this is a psychoactive drug, and both of them said yes. And so here we are ingesting something that is affecting our nucleus accumbens day in and day out. And you're going to have to, folks on the fruit thing are going to have to make their own decisions about the volume of fruit. Forget about fruit juice. Fruit juice is the same as a Coca-Cola, bottom line. It's the same amount of fructose. It, it slams the liver at the same pace. It creates fatty liver. It's the same thing, okay? But, you know, apples and that kind of thing go a little bit slower. But there are lower glycemic fruits um, that could possibly play a role in helping you like your suboxone, like a bridge to get you to off the process. I always say if you can get off the process, it's okay to eat some blueberries and whatever. If that need, if you need it, eat some oats if you need it. But realize that the possibility exists that those things may be causing issues as well. Oh, absolutely. And there's, and there's so many issues that, uh, you know, there's, as you know, there's such a long list of illnesses and diseases and physical symptoms that just resolve when people make this commitment to changing their sugar habits or, or completely removing it from right. their lives. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I've seen so many and so many. And the ones that are really exciting are the getting off the diabetes meds and the psychotropics, the SSRIs. That's just amazing to me. And again, we, we can't make claims that this is happening. But, you know, I can point you to people if you're interested. I was about to say the same thing. I've got clients that have, yeah, that have been through the same process and I I can do the same thing. But I guess everybody's probably now, you know, educated enough, especially for listeners of the podcast, that they're definitely in a place where I know enough to begin the journey. And so you have a bunch of different things going on in January (laughs) where people can get involved, like the Quit Sugar Summit. So can you walk us through how people can get in touch and how they can begin this this journey? Yeah, the best thing is to go to sugaraddiction.com and download the book. It used to be an Amazon bestseller, but, you know, this is now that with the challenges and everything, you know, the light bill's paid and I can pay the internet guys. Uh, it's like I started giving the book away for free. Yeah. And so uh, you see, it's a big yellow book at sugaraddiction.com. Just download. That's a start. And in January, we talked about this before, but in January, the sugar addiction or the sugar quitting world, the, the resolution thing happens like it the, used to be, not before COVID, but, uh, you know, people would all go to the gym in January. Well, everybody wants to quit sugar in January. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're having what we're calling the largest sugar detox in the world. Wow. And, uh, yeah, the largest sugar detox in the world in January, which is going to start on the 4th, I believe, right? The first Monday, you know, after a few days in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're going to start talking about it more, you know, like right after Christmas. But, yeah, we're going to try and get as many people as we possibly can detoxing from sugar at the same time. Because I said earlier, it's that group dynamic that really makes people feel uh, like part of it, that they're not an outlier, that they're not an outlier in their own family or their workmates or their schoolmates or whatever. And so that's number one, the largest sugar detox in the world. And you can find access if you just grab the book, you know, we'll get your email and we'll send you some info on that. But 
Then the next thing that you're on is going to be in January 11th, combined with the largest, is, we're calling the largest sugar summit in the world. So we're getting, <laughs> I don't want to be grandiose, but these are true facts. You know, we're trying to get them, uh, you know, get it out there. And we've got Robert Lustig and Gary Tobbs, who wrote The Case Against Sugar. And Judy Collins, a famous, iconic folk singer, wrote a book. In you know in her seventies, now in her eighties, wrote a book called Cravings, and she wants this to be part of her legacy, along with her her, her film her song library. She wants this message of quitting sugar, you know, like fifteen or twenty years ago, and how it changed her life to be part of her legacy. And as I mentioned, Dr. Gary Fetke, Dr. Professor Tim Noakes out of South Africa. Uh, Karen Carpenter, also South Africa, but used to work for CrossFit. Uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, we, we have literally uh, Dr. Michael Gorn, as I mentioned, Nicole Avina, you know, people that have been toiling behind the scenes, researching this stuff for decades. And but now with the science really exploding, they've written books. They're talking about it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's an exciting event. It's free. Just go to quitsugarsummit.com, log in. You can show I guess you'll have it in the show notes. Quitsugarsummit.com. Yeah. And uh, check it out. Uh, just leave your email and we'll tell you which speakers speak each day. It's like five or six each day. It's like 50 total. It's like a full-time job <laughs> to, to watch the thing. But, you know, you, it's free. You do, it's going to be on for seven days or six or seven days and, and uh, you know, get new speakers every single day. So that's a lot of fun. And that has helped me. Uh, we had your countryman Pete Evans on last year. Uh, everybody knows Pete down there and even here because he's on Netflix. Uh, so, yeah, there's just an exciting crowd of people there that what I find is that people say, I found you on the Quit Sugar Summit. I found, you know, because then instead of an hour like you and I have, they got like 50 hours of people who've been studying from children and babies and pregnancy all the way to Alzheimer's and all the way, everything in between the effects of sugar on the body, the brain, um, the emotions, the feelings. We got... A whole slew of world-famous addiction specialists. Bitten Johnson out of uh, Sweden. Joan Iflin, who's on every low-carb deist there is. Uh, Dr. Vera Tarman. We have a new couple new ones. It's, it's amazing that now the keto folks are now including these folks because they found that the people couldn't keep their diet. They couldn't do their diet without getting them off the sugar, and that was their Achilles heel and the thing. So anyway... It's a lot of fun, man. January is a nightmare and a, and a pleasure in my world. It's like I said, the gym is so packed and so are, you know, the people are people. And after this lockdown, what we found is that people really accelerated during the first lockdown. They're comfort eating, the sugar, candy sales are up, chocolate sales are up, sugar sales are up. I mean, everything is up because people were, there wasn't just toilet paper they got like wiped yeah. out of the grocery store. <laughs> Sugar and flour got wiped out because people were baking. Yeah. And they've gained weight. It's called, they call it out of the pandemic 15 or the COVID 19, 19. I mean, they got a lot of names for it now, but you know, anyway, this is, uh, we're, we're on our second lockdown here in Los Angeles. So, you know, people are, people are ready to change and they're going to use this lockdown either for introspection and good or they're just going to keep on the keeps the same old, same old. So hopefully they'll do the latter or the spur. 
Well, there's plenty of good that they can find in the show notes below. So I'm going to put the links to the Quit Sugar Summit and to the download Mike's book. Um, de- highly recommend the Quit Sugar Summit. There's the whole gamut of people from university level professors to you know emotional management coaches and and psychologists and everybody in between. So it's a great thing. And, and again, a big thanks to Mike for including me in that. I'm really excited. I did a con- had a conversation with Danielle, as everybody on the podcast has listened to a few times as well. So I'm really really looking forward to that. So Dan in the show notes below and Mike at being this time of year and moving into January and giving the year we've had to get people going what is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about I should have been ready for that question (laughs) (laughs) it's a tough one yeah no I I, the one thing I like to say about that is uh, you know what I've found is and this is a little it's kind of a challenge in and of itself right so what we find, like it's this is you know pattern recognition as I mentioned before. It's just I can see the withdrawals. I can see like they they give me the feedback, right? I can tell, and so we're able to structure these these uh, how to get out of it. I can never you never get out of something until you know how you got in it, right? So we kind of do the history, like I like the history lesson and slavery and all that kind of stuff. But what we find is that people who succeed are a little got a little rebel in them right they got a little pioneer in them they got a little bit of i don't give a crap what anybody else is thinking i've done my research and they're they're in their family they're they're a little bit of a rogue or a little bit ahead in their education maybe or their athletics or their uh, job or their career or even their health studies or whatever and those folks seem to be able to make that break from society and understand that, and are also humble enough to understand that they may need a little help and a little, little group action to somebody. They're, they're okay with joining new groups. They're okay with going to university. They're okay with going to a bigger job. They're okay with breaking free maybe from their family constraints, that the things that they grew up with that might not serve them well anymore. And those are the folks. If that's uh, if you see yourself in that description, gang, then join us at you know anything that we've mentioned before, and, and I look forward to it. Sounds amazing. Sounds like you're referring to people with a growth mindset, and that's Correct. anybody anybody listening to this show certainly has that. I think we push, that, yeah. We push the boundaries of conventional thinking <laughs> on every single episode. <laughs> that's what I like about you, Matt. Matt, I, I, I like that. Uh, I like those kind of folks. And and look, <laughs> every idea is crazy before it becomes self-evident, right? Every idea is, what's Schopenhauer say? You know, it's like, they think we're crazy before. People thought computers on every desk was going to be crazy too, right? So Yeah, now we carry them in our pockets. <laughs> right, exactly. So And, and health-wise, you know, same kind of stuff. So. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. I love hanging out with you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I always have, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to say it this way. But I, I have some, pod, I've been on some podcasts where it's not quite as much fun. Okay, I'll put it that way. <laughs> this, this is, you know, it, it's always fun to laugh and, and uh, get good information. Now, you know, I'll end with that. It's like, this does not, there's no death sentence, folks. This is a lot of fun. This is, this is, you know, you're changed and you're, you're better as a person. And, you know, so. Amazing. Well, I look forward to catching you in a couple of weeks on the Quit Sugar Summit. Loving it. Loving it. I interviewed you. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) So we're flip-flopping back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to hear all your wisdom. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Mike. We'll we'll chat soon. All right. Take care, buddy. See you, mate. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.